one of the saddest questions I think we can ever ask in the church is this question, whatever happened to so-and-so? Like, fill in the blank. We don't usually say so-and-so. Hopefully we remember their name, at least. Right? But whatever happened to Bob? You, know, you remember Bob? We used to see Bob around a lot of time. And, and whatever happened to Bob? I think that's one of the saddest questions because it points to the reality that someone's missing. Right? Someone, someone is, is not here. Someone who happened to be here, who seemed to have belonged with us, who seemed to be a part of us, is now missing and, and no longer here. That, that, that's sad. But, but that's not all that question is, is making clear. The question also betrays the reality that we have kind of probably sat by passively, uh, disengaged, doing nothing, while whatever was happening in Bob's life was happening and he began to withdraw and depart. It's a sad question because it exposes that we have not been paying attention to one another very well. Um, it's like we just woke up from a daze. Like we were just asleep. Ow, what, what happened? Right? It should make us grieve when we ask that question. It should make us grieve a little bit when we find ourselves asking that. Here at the end of James's letter... Uh, at the end of all this great and wonderful uh, truth about the gospel life, the Christian life that, that we've been walking through, that you've been walking through this summer, um, here at the end of all that, James leaves us with a charge to be more intentional and in looking out for our brothers and sisters. Um, and to even calls us that when we see somebody starting to wander away from the truth, that we would go and we would pursue them in love. That's what we see in the text today, James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Uh, it's on page 1013 in those Bibles on your row. I invite you to stand together. Let's hear from God's Word. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we um, are humbled to come before you today in worship and, and to stand before your word and, uh, and know that you are good and gracious and kind to us. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to see in your word uh, your truth, that you would impact and shape us by it, that you would help us to have eyes of grace and mercy, to see a little bit like you do in love, those that we can love and pursue in love. Lord, we pray, um, I'm sure as we walk through today, there will be names and faces that pop into some of our minds, and Lord, we pray that you would open doors and avenues, and, and more or less, you just mobilize us to just not make excuses, but to go and pursue and, and love deeply. We pray all this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. amen. You may have a seat. So this is how James decides to end his, his letter, right? No final greetings. You know, you know, most of Paul or Peter's epistles, you see like these kind of greetings at the end, just kind of sending some well wishes, a little love. No greetings here. No, no benediction from, from James. But he leaves with like, here's one more word of action. Something for you to do, which is, which is probably more fitting for him anyway. And James seems to be charging us to remember that this, all this stuff that he's been talking about throughout this entire letter, all this truth... Right Now, remember that, and when you see a brother or sister start to wander from that, don't just like sit idly by. Go after them. Pursue them. 
Now let's look again at what he says. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you, right? Anyone among you. So James is not talking about Christians being the policemen of the world's morality necessarily, right? He's not saying like, look out for your non-believing neighbor and go tell them how sinful they are. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying anyone among you, someone who seems to belong to the body of Christ, those folks, you start to see them wonder from the truth, you go after them. Right? You go after them. If anyone wonders from the truth, so someone in the church, someone who claims Christ, starts to wonder from the, the truth they're, they're in their words or their actions, whatever they're doing, their life starts to drift from what they say that they believe, and you see it. You see it. You witness it. You're called to go. Right? Notice that James isn't like writing to my pastors, Right? My, my deacons, my community group, like he said, my brothers. So you're a Christian. This is your responsibility to look out for your brother or your sister, all of us, and pursue them in love. And in fact, James assumes that, that we're going to do that. And this is really a hypothetical situation he's presenting to us. And in the hypothetical, he's, he's not only assuming that you will do this, but that you have done this, and that you've already successfully won your brother back, and you've brought them back to the faith. And as a result, he says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. James is assuming we're going to do this, that we are going to look out for one another. He's assuming that because we're looking out for one another, that when any of us sees another brother or sister stumbling and wandering from the truth, that, that the response is going to be, we go after them. We go to them in love, and we pursue them. And he's imploring us to do that with this, this little hypothetical he gives here at the end. He's imploring us to look after one another, to love one another enough to say something, to do something. I want us to, to see and kind of understand basically three things in this text today. I want us to see that the need for pursuing in love, why this is so crucial, why this is so vital that we would do this. I want us to see the hopeful result of that pursuit. And lastly, something that's a little bit more implicit here in this text, but is spelled out much more explicitly in the rest of the Bible elsewhere. Um, I want us to see the way of pursuing in love, how you are to go about doing this. So first, the need, right? The need for pursuing in love. Why is it important? Why is it so vital? Well, for one, the Christian life is a little bit difficult, is it not? Right? Uh, Hebrews 3.13 tells us, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Did you hear that? We need to be encouraged by one another every day. Like, not just like occasionally, not just on Sundays, but every day to prevent ourselves from being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I mean, if you've been a Christian for long, like longer than about two minutes or so, uh, you've realized that, this, that living the Christian life is, is not that easy, right? Think about what James has said. It is not easy to count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. It, that is not easy to do, right? It's hard to be quick to listen and slow to, to speak and slow to anger. It, it's hard to be a doer of the word all the time. If you're honest, you know that you need help. You know that you need support and encouragement. And you know that you need correction if you're honest. We all do. None of us don't need that, right? 
But the other side is that we're, we're also unable to see the full picture of our sinfulness. Right? We're unable to see the full picture of just how much help we actually do need. The prophet Jeremiah tells us very plainly in Jeremiah 17.9. He says, the, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? But the truth is we're all blind to our blind spots. That's why they're called blind spots, right? Uh, we call them blind spots because we can't see them. So we're, we're blind to them. So we need our brother or sister to help us point those things out in our lives. The Christian life is not an individual sport. It's not. It requires community. It requires looking out for one another, encouraging, challenging, even confronting one another in love. But I think the trouble is for all of us uh, that, that, that often this wondering from the truth doesn't feel that serious at the time, right? Like when we start to wonder, sometimes it just feels like, oh, I'm just being a little adventurous, right? I'm just living a little. I'm just exploring, checking things out. Just, it's not that bad. It's not that big of a deal. But then after a little while, we look back and we realize that our so-called adventure was really foolishness. Right? It was a lot more serious than it was. That it seemed to be at first. James has warned us about being double-minded in this, this letter. Uh, but often being double-minded doesn't feel that dangerous. Right? In the moment, it might feel like we're simply just kind of getting the best of both worlds. We feel like we're, we're simply being relevant. Right? Fitting in. Connecting. And, and you look around and you see the masses saying, this is, this is the way it should be. Well, surely they can't all be wrong. But let me tell you something. The gospel is not concerned with what the masses have to say. It is not. It's concerned with the truth. The gospel is concerned with life. The truth is that life is found in Christ alone. In fact, the, the, the Bible tells us, John 14, 6, that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And the truth is that no matter how it feels, to wander from the truth is to wander towards death. Right? It's to wander towards death. It's spiritual suicide when we start wondering. James is making that clear when he says, bringing a sinner back from his wondering saves his soul from death. This is serious, a serious matter. Pursuing our, our brother or sister caught up in sin is, 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 is a serious business. It may even be a matter of life and death. But... We also need to understand something here because I know how some of you think. And some of you are like, well, I thought we were supposed to be assured of our salvation, right? We're supposed to rest just firmly and confidently that, that Jesus has saved us, that nothing can separate us from his love. So what does this mean that if I start wandering from the truth, I might be wandering toward death? And, and we have to hold this together. Like James is not trying to call our assurance of salvation into question here. We have to hold this together with what we read in Romans 8, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. But the thing is, is that we don't always have the, the, the privilege of having God's perspective Right? God can look and he can see and he can clearly distinguish between the Christian who's simply backsliding. Right? Somebody whose salvation is secure, but they're caught up in sin, they're struggling in sin. And the person who seemed to maybe, from our eyes, belong with the church, be a Christian, but actually in their heart they were not. Right? They had not truly placed their faith and trust in Christ. They were not truly impacted by the gospel with a heart change. Right? We can't tell that difference a lot of the time. We, we don't have the, the privilege of that perspective. And so we're to go after all of them. <laughs> we're to go after all of them. And, and, and know that regardless, the course of action is the same. Pursue. 
bring them, try to bring them back to the fold. And God may use our pursuit, we may not know it, but he may use our pursuit to save a soul from death. The point is, we really need to watch out for one another. Notice, again, James is, is talking to all of us, my brothers, not pastors, not community group leaders, brothers, sisters. In the Bible, when it says brothers, it, it, was, it, it meant everybody, right? It meant everybody in the church, every Christian. There will be times when you, and there may be times right now, where you know that you see a brother or sister start to wonder from the truth. Maybe someone in your community group that you haven't seen for a while, somebody that you remember seeing at the gathering that you haven't seen at the gathering for a while. And just because they don't come doesn't always mean like their soul is like on, like you're, you're going to die an eternal death for not coming to church alone. But that could be a symptom that there's something going on. And so you start to take notice of that. Maybe it's, you know, you're aware of an ungodly relationship in their life. You're, you're aware that they're getting into some kind of weird theology stuff out there. You start to hear the racist joke, the sexist joke, right? Are you just going to sit idly by and just allow them to begin to wade into that? Or are you going to speak into it? Whatever it is, when you take notice, you are called to go after them and try to bring them back. There's a, a murder that happened in 1964 in Queens, New York. And uh, the story's kind of been a little famously shared around through the years. But uh, a 28-year-old woman named Kitty Genovese was walking home to her apartment in Kew Gardens in Queens, New York, when she was assaulted on the street. And she cried out, he's stabbing me, help me, right? And there's a lot of, like, different stories about, like, did anybody even call the police or whatever, and a lot of confusion over that. But here's here's what we do know about that murder and what happened. Kitty Genovese was attacked on the street outside of this apartment building, and she started screaming for help, and lights in the apartments came on, and people looked out, and they heard the screams, and nobody went down to help her. Nobody. Nobody. We've got to pursue our brothers and sisters when we see them wondering, right? It may be just that serious in a spiritual sense. Spiritual death. We can't look on and just do nothing. Right? This is vital. This is vital. James shows us the need, but he also shows us the hopeful result of pursuing in, in love. Uh, or we could say here is the, a significant part, not all of it, but a significant part of the motivation for, for going after our wandering brother or sister. It's right here. Uh, once again, look at verse 20. It says, let, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Right? The, the hopeful result for our, our Christian brother wandering from the truth is a return to resting in the grace of Jesus. Right? A return to knowing the reality that, that Jesus has lived for him, died for him, rose for him, that he might be welcomed in, adopted into the family of God, accepted, loved, God's son, God's daughter. It's a return to knowing that and living in light of that and enjoying the the joy and the freedom that comes from being a child of God. And as we mentioned, if if they weren't actually a believer to begin with, right, uh, the hopeful result is that they would meet and know Jesus through our pursuit, that that the Holy Spirit would open their heart to faith as we're pursuing them in love and calling them back to the fellowship, right? 
that their life would truly be gripped by the gospel of grace and transformed by his selfless love. They personally know that Jesus lived in their place the perfect life they can never live. That Jesus died their death that they deserved for their sins. And that his empty tomb proclaims that they have been accepted and welcomed into the family of God. That's the hopeful result. But as we read verse 20, it's a little vague in the wording, right? And at first glance, it's, you're kind of left with some questions like, whose soul is saved here? Like, it doesn't really say whose soul is saved. It says, you will save, uh, you will save his soul from death. Like, who, who, well, who's the his, right? Um, whose sins are covered? Without understanding kind of the larger context of the Bible, you can almost read this and walk away feeling that the pressure is on you to save your brother or sister, right, and to cover their sins by your pursuit, right? Or even maybe worse, right, uh, you, you might even make a mo- the more tragic error of thinking that you're actually playing a part in your own salvation and in covering your own sins by the way you pursue your wandering brother or sister. And neither understanding is right, right? It's not what James is saying here. Only God can save a soul from death. Only, only God can forgive sins. The scriptures are, are playing on that. Only he can grant repentance and truly forgive and cover someone's sins. This is what Jesus alone has accomplished for us in his perfect sinless life, his sacrificial death, his glorious resurrection. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, very plainly says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior, our God, of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. Your salvation has nothing to do with you and how good you've been or how bad you've been. It's based on his work, not yours. But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That's saying... It's, it's even a work of God that the Holy Spirit came into your heart and enlivened your heart to even receive and believe the gospel. This is how much it's not you. Like, it's all God, your salvation. It's all his doing from start to finish. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs of the ho- to the hope of, etern- of eternal life. Your salvation, my salvation, it's all God's doing. It's all grace. It's all grace. And James is pointing us to the hopeful result that, so that we may pray that God will bring this about. Right? This follows right after the section on prayer. Right? This is really kind of part of that section in some ways. And so that we would pray to the one who's able to save their soul from death, to the one who's able to cover their sins, that we'd be praying to him that he would work in and through our pursuit. This is the hopeful result, that he would do that, that he would save them. The wording here isn't basing their forgiveness or or our forgiveness on our own effort, but it's pointing in part to the third thing that I want us to see in the text today, which is the way of pursuing in love. Salvation is all God's doing. It's all Him. Only He can lead someone to repentance and faith. It's not on us. That's not what James is saying. But what James is kind of hinting at is that our effort in pursuing them should be like almost as if, we thought it was on us, that we're that invested in going after our brother or sister. That we know that it's all God who's, who's going to be able to save and restore and, and change their heart. But our effort, our prayers, 
our, our pursuing, our, our getting together with them, that effort will be like, we think it's on us, right? Does that make sense? It, it, it's that mindset. Just as in our own walk with the Lord, it's, it's the grace of Jesus that saves us, right? It's his, his righteousness that covers us and qualifies us um, to be Christians, to be children of God. It's not you. You don't do anything to manage and keep that in your own effort. That's all a gift of grace that you receive as a gift. It's the Spirit that applies the grace of Jesus and even enables you to grow and continue to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. But in the same breath, Paul can talk about all that and then he can say things like this in Philippians 2, 12. But work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Right? So it's, it's this both and, right? Just because it's all God's doing, it's all God's grace to bring about salvation and renew hearts and transform our lives, and we can't take any of the credit for it, even though that, that doesn't mean that we just sit idly by and we do nothing. Right? We work hard with, with the Spirit. We work hard with the grace of Jesus at, at work in our lives. We work hard at following Him. Not to earn or keep our standing, but because we have it already. And having tasted the goodness and the sweetness of Jesus' forgiveness and grace, like we realize it's not a have to to get in and read my Bible. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to get to know Christ more through his word. It's not a have to to pray to God. It's a, like, do you realize you can pray to the, the creator of the universe? Like, that's a privilege. That's a privilege to be able to listen and have him speak into our hearts and lives. It's a privilege to be able to share our requests and know that he hears our prayers. And he's a good father who delights to answer them, not just always the way we want them, but with his best for us. That's a privilege. So we partner with him. We find that much of the time, God grows us through our efforts. Right? He does the growing, but he uses a lot of our effort. Not because we're, we made it happen, but because he is good and loving and gracious. It's the same with pursuing our wandering friend. We can no more make them come back. Right? Only God can do that. But we are in that moment God's vessel, his instrument. That we pray by God's grace that he's working through to bring about his work of restoring them or maybe saving them for the first time. And so we pursue with all that we have. We pray for them. We call them. We meet with them. We plead with them. Come back. Right? With everything we have. Everything we have. James is encouraging us to be watchful. And when the time comes, pour ourselves out in pursuit. But this just sounds so awkward. Right? I mean... This is not very American. We're, we're very prideful individuals who like to mind our own business. You're like, I don't want to, I mean, aren't we supposed to just stick to what's happening in my own life, take care of myself? You know, I don't want to be the overly no, nosy neighbor. It's like too much in my neighbor's business and like, it's kind of like weird. Um, you know, we have enough trouble to deal with of our own, don't we? But this really goes against everything in our culture of kind of private individualism. But you know what? You know what? You and I are not called to be private individuals. We're not called to be Americans or Westerners. We are called to be Christians. We're called to be Christians. And part of that call is to lovingly look out for our brother, for our sister, and to even involve ourselves into the 
the stuff of their life at times, and, and, and to, to call them when we see them wondering, to, to step in and say something and call them back. You're called as a Christian to go after them. All of you. You. Not like a, I don't want you to hear that collective you today like, well, someone in here will do that for me. Because, you know, we're all here together. I'm sure someone else saw. Like, I think that's probably what happened with Kitty Genovese, right? A lot of people were like, I bet someone else is going to go down there. I bet someone else will respond to that. So I don't know. Like, here, you. Individual you. You are called. You are called to go after your brother, your sister. There may not be real explicit instructions here, but there there are some things that are, I think, implicit in the text. But there are also a number of other helpful passages I want to share real quickly with you that give some clear direction um, on on how this is to happen. So let me give you just some characteristics of what this pursuit should look like. First off, it, it needs to be done humbly. Right? It needs to be done humbly. If, if we are Christians resting in the grace of Jesus, and we understand our salvation is all God's doing from start to finish, and, and we're continually just in the state of, we're grateful, Lord, that you would save me, that you would invite me into your family, then th- th- it really will be impossible for us to start kind of going after our brother or sister, looking down our nose like, oh man, can you believe what they did? Right? Because it's all grace that saved us, right? It is only the grace of God that the roles are not reversed here, right? That I'm not the one being pursued in love, but rather I'm the one pursuing in love. It's only the grace of Jesus. And so we do it humbly. We do it humbly with that kind of attitude. Like, Lord, thank you that that I'm in this position, that you have brought me to this position where I can lovingly pursue. And, And being mindful of the fact that in a week or a day or a couple hours, it might be reversed. And, and my brother will need to pursue me. My sister will need to pursue me. So we do it humbly. It needs to be done prayerfully. Prayerfully. Right? Remember what James says right before this passage, that, that for the Christian who's abiding in Christ, right? The, his prayer is powerful and effective. Your prayers in Christ are powerful and effective. It's God who saves. It's God who covers our sins. So let's go to the God of grace in prayer for our brother, for our sister. We go and we plead before God. Right? We, we pray. It needs to be done carefully and with gentleness. Right? There's two there. Carefully and with gentleness. The Apostle Paul says this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. He says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, any sin... You who are spiritual, right? You are at this time walking in a healthy rhythm with the Lord, and you see that, right? You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself. Very next sentence, right? Keep watch on yourself, though, lest you be tempted. Lest you too be tempted. One of the most dangerous thoughts that we can have in this is like, well, I would never do that, Right? I would never be caught up in, in some kind of struggle like this. That's one of the most prideful, arrogant, and dangerous thoughts we can have. Because again, it's only the grace of God that the roles are not reversed. And understanding that, I think, leads us to a place where we pursue with gentleness, right? If we're humble, then, and we know that it could just as much be us in this situation. 
We could just as much be the one wandering from the truth, caught up in, in some kind of sin struggle here that we need to be brought back and have our brothers step in and pursue us. It, that's going to lead us to be gentle in the way we do it. If we have a mindset that knows, well, at some point, like to any degree, we all are going to need each other to speak in and say, brother, that's, that's sin. Sister, that's, that's wrong. Right? We all need that at some point. So sometime that's coming for you. Like if we're a real community here, like we're not just like showing up for a gathering on Sundays and, and like having nice barbecues through, during the week, right? then sometime that's going to happen to you. Somebody's going to say, you're wrong. That's sin. Do you want that to be done like with self-righteous judgment jerkiness or do you want that to be done with gentleness? Yeah, and, and so do they. And it's only the grace of God that's separating you in that moment. So we do it, we do it carefully, knowing that we too could be sucked into sin real quick. And we do it with gentleness. And it needs to be done privately, at least at the start. It needs to be done privately. How many prayer requests have been lifted up in the name of, oh, I really, I think we should pray for Sally because, you know, she's been doing this, 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 and this, and we should pray for her, right? Right? Or, man, I saw this go down with Sally, and I need, I need some help. So let me call the pastor. Let me talk to every member of my community group. Uh, let me email every person I've ever talked to or met at the church and see what they think about how I should go about doing this. Eh, no, right? That's not how we do it. Like that, you, are, you are sabotaging the whole process right at the very beginning. It needs to be done privately. You see it, you are the one who goes and you talk to him. Matthew 18, verse 15. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his faults between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Right? And, and I know Jesus specifically is mentioning here someone sinning against you. And you confronting them on their sin against you. But the application is just as well applied to you witness their sin that's not done against you. And you're the one who saw it. You're the one who, whose eyes have been opened to it. You go to them privately. Between the two of you. To start. You don't blow up the process from the, from, from the first moment it begins. By telling like 15 other people. Right? I don't need a phone call. The first moment you see somebody struggling, you have the Holy Spirit in you. You have been gifted the grace of God too, right? It's not just pastors and leaders, right? And so we're all equipped to pursue in love. Now, there's, there's definitely stuff you read through the rest of Matthew 18 that if things aren't responded to, there is appropriateness to bring other brothers and sisters in and eventually maybe even church leaders into a situation. But that's in extreme circumstances after seasons of pursuing your brother or sister on your own. Right? Just the two of you. And, and Jesus says, if they respond to repentance and are restored, right? You've won your brother. In other words... It may only need to stay with the two of you once it's done, right? It's not your story to tell other people about, hey, this happened, I pursued this happened. No, that's their testimony now. They want to share that testimony of God's grace in their life, how God worked through that situation. That's their story. But if they respond, they're restored in that moment, many times it's done. And that's maybe where one sense, like you're not, God covers their sins, don't get me wrong. 
But in a sense, there's a covering you're applying there too by not needing to make everything public because it's been dealt with. It's been repented of. We're moving on, right? Now, obviously, sometimes there are public sins that require public repentance. And sometimes there are consequences for our sins that end up involving other people knowing about them. But most of the time, if this process happens right, and you go just between the two of you, they respond, they're restored, it's done. It's over. Nobody needs to know about it. Not unless they want to share their story to give glory to God for what he's done in their life. This is the way we pursue in love, right? We go all out as God's instrument of grace, humbly, prayerfully, carefully, with gentleness, privately pursuing our brother or our sister. And the reality is that in and of yourself, you and I, we are not going to be able to muster up enough strength and courage to get through the awkwardness. Because this is awkward. This is really awkward to do this right. The only way you will actually do this is as you remember Jesus' pursuit of you. As you think on his pursuit of you and what he's done to save you. To borrow Jesus' own language from the parable of the prodigal son, when you were in your far-off country, right? When you were in your far-off country, wandering from the truth, buried in your sin and selfishness, Jesus Christ came after you. He came after you. He didn't just simply throw up a quick prayer and hope that things would work out, right? He didn't, he didn't turn away to just say, ah, oh, well, I guess I'm done with them. They're not around anymore. He didn't go tell a bunch of other people about how terrible you are, right? No, he came after you with all he is and all he has. That's what he did. The king of glory stepped out of heaven to live for you. He he laid down his perfect life and took up a cross to die in your place. And he paid your penalty for your sinfulness, for your wandering in full. There's no more wrath for you. He took it all. And his empty tomb testifies to the truth of his own words from the cross. It is finished. God accepts you because of what Jesus has done. He welcomes you, not just to say you're forgiven, but you're part of the family now. You're, You're brought all the way in. Son, daughter. Jesus didn't come after you with condemnation. He, he, he didn't come after you looking down on you, telling you how terrible you are, but he came after you with grace upon grace upon grace. And even now, as you continue to follow him and, and, and you wrestle with sin still, and you at times fall in your face in that sin and, and completely, like, you, you just, you fail, right? You're, 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 a, you're a sinner and you, you, you sin. And you're, you're on your face in your guilt and your shame. Even now. He continues to come after you, to restore you, like he did with Peter on the beach after his resurrection, right? He continues to come after, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times, to match the three times that Peter denied him. He has taken all of your guilt and all of your shame away. We need to be reminded of what the scriptures say. The Bible says that by his grace, he's, he's taken your sin as far as the east is from the west. You thought about how far away that is? Right? If you, if you go all the way you can go north over the globe, eventually what happens is you start going south, right? 
But if you go east or west, you're always going east or west. Right? You just keep going. You keep going. You keep going. That's how far. Infinitely far. Right? He has removed your sin from you. Um, that's what it says in Psalm 103.12. He, he's put your sin behind his back and out of his sight. It says in Isaiah thirty-eight seventeen. So God no longer considers your sin when he sees you. He doesn't see your sin. He only sees the righteousness of God when he looks at you now. The Bible says that God remembers your sins no more. Isaiah forty-three twenty-five. So you're no longer marked. You're no longer identified by your sin, by your struggle, by what you've done. You're marked by Jesus, his perfection, his glory. And as you think on and you abide in the reality of all that that means, all of what his pursuit for you has done, how God now sees you in light of him, right? As you think on that, that's what moves you. That's what moves you and me to go after our brother or sister and to pursue them humbly, prayerfully, carefully, with gentleness, passionately pursuing them in love, right? I think the events that we've seen the last couple days in Charlottesville uh, should show us that we've got to do this. We've got to do this. We can't just be okay with like, ah, oh, well, they'll figure it out, or we hope they'll be... And we've got to speak in when we see our brother or sister stumbling. We've got to call sin, sin. We've got to pursue in love. And my question for you this morning is, who are you looking out for? Right. I actually got three questions for you, but that's the first one. Who are you looking out for? Right? Your brothers and your sisters need you. We need you to pay attention. I need you to pay attention. I need you to speak into my life. Like, I'm a train wreck <laughs> at times. Like, all, well, all the time, really. But, but I, need, I need brothers and sisters who are willing to speak truth into my life. We all do. Who are you looking out for? We need you. Who's looking out for you? Is the next question. Right? God does not call you to attend church on Sundays. Right? It's not, that's not what he invites us into. He invites us to be a part of the body of Christ. To belong to a, to a body of believers. Who know us and who we know. So that we have lots of eyes watching. Lots of brothers and sisters who love us dearly. Who want our best for us. Caring and speaking into us. So who's looking out for you? And, and, and the last question is, who do you need to pursue in love right now? Because I, I'm sure, as we've gone through this morning, there's probably been faces, names that have popped in your uh, mind of people that you're, you're we're concerned about, that you're wondering about. Maybe you haven't seen them in a while. or Maybe you are aware of other things that are happening in life. Who do you need to pursue right now? What are you going to do? Go. Go after them. Right? That's your call. That's your call. Right now, we're going to transition into a time where we celebrate Jesus' all-out pursuit of us as we prepare to, to come to the Lord's table today. Um, let's remember how Jesus pursued us in love. Right? And by living for us, dying for us, rising for us, let's celebrate his grace as we share in the bread and the cup, remembering his body that was broken, his, his blood that was shed for us. Believers, you're invited to come here in just a moment as we continue to worship, to, to share in this meal, and to examine your hearts before the Lord. 
Come prayerfully, resting in his grace, responding to that, receiving it, and just resting in it once more. To break off a piece of the bread, to dip it in the cup. Uh, We offer both juice and wine to take as your conscience leads. The, The wine is in the glasses marked with twine or string. If you're not a believer in Christ, well, while believers are coming forward to share in this meal that's reserved for them, the, the invitation is open to you to take Christ in faith, to respond to the good news of the gospel, and, and to, to be welcomed into the family of God today. There'll be pastors and, and prayer responders here who would love to visit with you, we'd love to pray with you about meeting Jesus, but we'd love to pray with you about anything that's going on in your life. If sickness, health, you know, school starting and I'm panicked. Whatever. Um, We would love to pray with you. We'd love to pray with you. And may Jesus use each of us as instruments of his love and grace. And may we be a people who who love deeply enough to go after one another when we see each other wandering from the truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thanks so much for this opportunity to be together. It's it's a blessing. Um, We don't take for granted to gather together with you and with one another and worship, and to hear from your word. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts to love more deeply, that you would help us to see how you have extended grace upon grace to us, and that would move us to love our brothers and sisters enough to say hard things when we need to, to pursue when we need to, to not just sit idly by, but to love enough, to care enough to go after them. Lord, for, for the names and the, the people that are represented in, in some of the hearts around this room right now, we, we pray to you, the God of all grace, that you would move in a way to restore them, to bring them to repentance and faith. And we pray that you would use us as your ambassadors, as your instruments, uh, that you'd work in and through our pursuit of them. And Lord, that you would receive all the glory, all the praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.